Welcome to the Rounds to Residency podcast, brought to you by Med School Coach. Each episode, get clinical rotation advice and tips to prepare for your externships and residency in healthcare. We interview preceptors and physician educators who will prepare you for your rotation and improve your clinical experience. Now, here's your host, Chase DeMarco. Today, we have Dr. Abdullah Shaheen, who's a dual board certified in infectious disease and critical care medicine. He's also the assistant professor at Tufts University of Medicine and Brown University and the program director for internal medicine. Dr. Shaheen, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. I am excited to discuss some of these topics because it is really interesting how medical education is changing a lot lately and just everything in medicine is changing, I guess, but getting the information directly from program directors, especially regarding residency, is a huge question for a lot of students. So maybe we could start off just a little bit describing like what your position is and what your experiences have been so far as a program director. Yes. So I have been the founding program director for the program at now. This is our first year, so we only have PGY1s. And I was responsible for the kind of the work before starting residency, preparing curriculum, facility, uh, training the faculty. And it takes a lot of preparation before the first badge hits in. And of course, the chaos only starts then because it's a brand new experience for everyone, including us. It has been a very interesting experience, especially with COVID, uh, to set up a lot of stuff virtually, to recruit virtually, to interview virtually, and then to bring folks with restrictions and start. Uh, trying to orient them and, and have them start. And uh, the year also affected uh, a lot of the knowledge, these issues and a lot of preparations that they would have received during medical school that we had to do as part of their kind of orienting. It has been a different year for sure. I can only imagine trying to get a program started and then having something as severe and life-changing as the pandemic hit at the same time, just so much to shuffle at the same time i guess so then for the icebreaker question what is the biggest challenge you see facing residents currently i think there's a lot of change in how medicine is being administered and how it's been thought of that is not really captured in the medical school and changed curriculums so you still think of physicians as diagnosticians maybe as therapeutic treatment uh, oriented folks going to procedures and surgeries, but that's becoming a smaller part of medicine as we speak and has been on that trend for 10 plus years. You have to become an administrator, you have to become IT oriented. There's a lot of bureaucratic hustles that you really don't have an idea about and you think they're kind of detrimental to what you're trying to do, but honestly, they are the core of what you're trying to do, which is helping the patient. So, part of navigating the system has been a challenge for folks, not only in terms of doing it, but understanding the value of it. Yeah, that's interesting because I usually hear those types of comments more from those in private practice where they need to learn the business side of things. They need to be a little more tech savvy, maybe even run social media for their business. But when you think of residents, at least in my mind, I first go to like hospitalists because most are learning in a teaching hospital. And you have a wider diversity of staff there that can potentially help out with certain things, administrative assistance and nursing 
staff and other staff there. So how much of these tasks would you say are now shifting more on to the resident where maybe it wasn't before? So a lot of the folks who are listening to this are experiencing the multidisciplinary rotation or the grounds that they're doing every single morning with ancillary staff. But these folks are there for a reason, and it used to be these tasks are completely delegated to them in terms of prior authorizations. Now you're having more and more of the physicians being in charge of that, leading these sessions, leading these discussions. The residents themselves are not necessarily going to be the front line, but a lot of times, especially as the program matures closer to graduating, they'll be delegated these tasks of calling your peer-to-peer, although you're just a resident, you can still call and kind of clarify with the insurance company about a certain procedure or a treatment. Documentation is something that you really don't think you're doing much of, but coding and billing is becoming something that going directly to residents to tell them how to do and what to do. So because you are the primary note writer, so you don't think that you're doing more and more, but you actually are doing it without you being very conscious about it. And this is part of how things have changed over the last 10 years from administering the EHRs, moving away from paperwork and having all these quality metrics that you are now bound by, the billing structures, everything affects everyone. It's not just a private practice because eventually you are being trained to function within the system and the system is designed that way. And it's interesting that a lot of these tasks, like medical billing, for instance, are not something that's really I don't think it was ever mentioned in my medical school, and I feel like a lot of students feel that exact same way. So in a recent interview I gave, the guest on the show was discussing how some orientations for residency are now going from maybe one week to three weeks long or just expanding because there's so much more to cover and not topics that you've covered in medical school. Do you see that happening a lot as well? Is that happening in your residency program? Absolutely. So last year, being the first class, we had a boot camp for about four weeks after the orientation, introducing some of these topics, like how to manage the EHR, the paperwork system, and also filling some of the knowledge gaps that we know between COVID and the way medical school kind of runs their rotation together. While the medical knowledge part was appreciated, there was more appreciation and urgency to expanding on how much EHR we're doing, how much help we can do with navigating the system. Because eventually, yes, you're going to see the patient that's you're going to try to find a diagnosis, but you're going to spend a lot of your time documenting, phoning folks, doing other stuff that people don't see it as part of medicine. That's what I'm trying to bring it, not just because managing expectations, we keep seeing ourselves like the way the physicians and scrubs are. They're just running around with a board and just throwing up random orders and things are being done. We do that, but we do a lot of other stuff that people do not come prepared to do mentally, at least. And they keep kind of looking at it and looking down on these tasks. And unfortunately, they're bothersome, they're time-consuming, and they're really brainless. But it's, again, part of what the system has morphed to become. It's interesting because I feel like, personally anyway, that the medical education aspect, medical school, and GME graduate medical education have just a huge disconnect and it just seems to be growing and growing every year. I don't know if there is a lot of discussion about how to fix this or if it's even something that's really being noticed at this point, but obviously from the program director's perspective, 
now with step one going pass fail and not necessarily using that test as heavily weighted for applicants you guys have a lot more work to do just in the vetting process and interview process not to mention also having these extra weeks of orientation and boot camp that you have to add on top of it and it just seems like that's not how things were before and it's just getting harder and harder for everybody involved yes it comes down to the metrics and how they're being used we are to blame for having certain requirements for entering residencies so the scores helped us the folks at gme say these are the cutoffs these are the rules for who we actually consider interviewing based on the thousand plus application we get for each 10 positions and that was not the case 20 years ago people used to value more the one to one knowledge that they know that they have with the applicants ahead of time people did not used to apply for 100 plus programs i know for a fact that there are some candidates applying for three or four hundred applications aside from the financial cost it just dilutes the pool right uh, because it's easy for you to submit the 35 dollars and get your name on some other portal so us using that as a screening measure actually encourage medical schools to give even more attention to the test so they teach for the test and they know how good they are on how many folks they put in optho and in ortho right so they have to get to these programs and these programs are quite higher and higher usmle scores so it becomes kind of a race to the bottom in a sense where they're teaching for something that really is not what we are looking for it's and i keep telling my residents this and with different interactions from them like I can bring a monkey and have him pass the ABIM Board of Medicine. It really takes a lot of work and effort to create a professional physician. And that's the part that I wish medical schools would come and focus more on and have it, having people become more kind of well-rounded and see beyond the thing that they can achieve, which is a score of a test that actually dictates where they end up for their career. So I'm in a sense about seeing how folks will do it without the step one and in a few years without the step two and now the CS is gone. But I also don't think it's going to be the only solution. If you're still going to have to apply for 300 programs for you to get 15 interviews and it's still a very dysfunctional system and it's really behind on what we need to be in terms of managing the pool of applicants, the positions and how we actually reorient the GME mission and also will help free the medical schools from some of the burdens that really hinder medical education. Even the ABIM boards have shifted over the last 12 years, specifically over the last maybe eight or nine years now, where they've noted that these physicians are really sucking in answering questions related to strokes, MIs, and equally as bad or good in answering things about rare diseases with one in a million, one in three million incidences. The residents open up their mix-up questions for internal medicine. They'll see there's an H sign some next to some of the questions that are these high value because they're related to their medical practice. And I hope medical schools will also weigh in a way the medical information they're relaying to the residents. It's good to know about Gilbert disease because it's common. Okay, It's not going to be a hard thing to manage. It's good to know about Kiga and Ajar, but they're not the same. The same way in like knowing about some rare trisomy versus knowing something like, let's say, diabetes. They're not equal, but they are equal in the sense of, okay, this is a disease and this is a disease, and I need to give them 
equal attention because that rare disease is also going to be more likely to be on the board. So medical knowledge will be affected by how we actually shift in the GAE selection because eventually that's what they're trying to fulfill. Yeah, I think that really brings in a lot of dysfunction from the medical school to the board of examiners to third-party resources and then eventually to the student because, well, at least from my perspective of it, it seemed like when you're studying for the boards, the Q banks have to cover everything because some students are going for that quote-unquote perfect score. So they want to have material on everything, no matter how rare it is. But then it gives the other students, such as myself, a disproportionate view on the relativity of these diseases and the importance of knowing them. And I feel like part of that might be also that the MBME is not exactly clear on a lot of it. They'll say, sure, in broad strokes, you know, 25 to 30% is going to be on cardiology, 20% is going to be on pulmonology, and they'll give a general breakdown. But that doesn't really guide the practice test makers. And those are the ones that are really guiding the students more so than the schools even. So without a little more transparency there, I just don't see any solutions that might be available. I think some of these questions give the benefit of really being able to differentiate like low performing versus high performing students. And there's a value of them. But to create a test that is purely of that quality is not going to be helpful because eventually you're not measuring knowledge. You're trying to measure between the 75th and the 90th percentile, which how helpful is that going to be for you to actually vet your medical students, especially when you actually know that doing that created openizing way of, of education where you actually learn more about stuff that you're not going to see versus stuff you're going to really see every single day, like hypertension and diabetes and CHF, because they're not going to be very exciting on your board exam. That's dangerous, to be honest with you. I completely agree. This episode is brought to you by findarotation.com, where students and preceptors can schedule rotations with ease and security and schedule your next clinical rotation. That's Find a Rotation, your medical and healthcare clinical rotations platform. And it seems like these concerns that we're bringing up are going to be disproportionate for international students. I am G's international medical graduates or students now don't have the ability of the step one to really shine above their American student counterparts. So this has been a huge debate in the forums anyway for the past year or so since the news came out that step one's going pass fail. Besides maybe, I don't know, having more research experience or something along those lines, what ways do you think are going to really help IMGs stand out in their applications? Being an IMG myself, I will tell you that things are only getting harder. Nowadays, you have to do much more for you to stand out. Historically, you used to have to be ECFMG certified and you'll be in the match. Then came the scores. Now came the U.S. hands-on experiences. And now they want more research. Uh, that's in a way limiting because let's say you're someone from modest background from overseas and you need to come to the U.S. to interview and match and get to the system. Nowadays, you actually have to budget for coming, spending 12 months doing some research and in hands-on experience. Even unfortunately with high scores, things have been getting difficult and difficult for them. And one other factor that we haven't seen the effect of is with the yes, 
being gone, them coming to the country becomes much harder because for myself, I got my visa because I had a letter from ECFMG saying this guy has a USMLE step UCS exam in Houston, so I'll give him a visa. With that being gone, a lot of this kind of unfortunate countries were not going to give visas to, to, those, to those physicians to come and be able to do what's necessary for them to match. So it's a perfect storm, honestly, between having the visa getting only harder, the requirement becoming more confusing, how to stand out. I think the only thing they can do is, whatever it's possible, build personal connections either through the research, through knowing someone there. Opportunities for externships are going to be the main source of them coming, creating connections and matching through them. Definitely agree. Yeah, currently, the last research I read was that 25% of the active physician healthcare workforce in the U.S. is IMGs. So if that's 25% and we still have such a physician shortage and we don't really have residency spots opening up in great numbers, and now with uh, visa aspects changing all the time depending on the political administration and so many other factors, it all seems like it's going to just make healthcare in general more difficult in the future, not better. I agree. So there's a compound problem between the physicians who delayed their retirement for financial reasons, especially after the 2008 economic crash, for those who are in the now mid to late 70s. We are actually not growing those residency spots, as you said, where maximum they can increase by a thousand every year. And for a number of years, they haven't even reached that level of growth and having a pool of applicants between the IMGs, FMGs, and the US graduates that is only growing. That creates part of the chaos that we're seeing and how the match is being run and, and the dysfunctionalities of it. But down the road, we're going to have to see some major reform in, in how GME kind of handshakes with, with the educational system and the visa system and fix it. Unfortunately, what I'm seeing now is the rise of the mid-levels as subsidies. And I will tell you, this is dangerous because you can't expect someone with two years of postgraduate education functioning the same way with someone who spent 10 years in some scenarios or even longer between the medical school residencies and fellowship and call them equal. It's not trying to degrade the MPs and PAs that call it as partners. There's a knowledge and experience that you only can build through structured training and they just don't have that. We're kind of plugging that hole with other providers, but I don't think we're doing good for the outcomes we are looking for and on the long run, it's going to harm us. Yeah, I seem to be hearing that from a lot of physicians, especially in primary care where the MPs and PAs, the mid-level providers, are taking over a lot of the responsibility and jobs. And I'm far from an expert on any of these topics, but there seems to be growing evidence of significantly increases in patient harm. And obviously, it's going to really depend on what environment and every state has different laws and rules for their mid-level providers. And there just seems to be a lot of misinformation on both sides, or at least a lot of I don't know if it's misinformation, but strong views on both sides will say, I definitely think that that's going to complicate the process a little bit more since if it's just, well, we don't need these doctors because we can fill them with a more affordable practitioner, that's probably not going to be in the best views for the patient care aspect of things in the long run. Absolutely. 
Well, this has been extremely valuable to me and I'm sure it will be to the audience. We've covered some great information about how just medicine is changing in medical education, GME, and some of the gaps that we probably need to start bringing to more people's attention to fill. Do you have any other words of wisdom? So this is something because I'm always on the receiving end of medical schools to the residency. I was myself there once, and it's a huge change in mentality, huge shift from being a student to being the physician taken care of. So I will tell you that the expectation should be that you want to assume that role with the fullest potential that you can be, and that requires you to be there mentally, physically. And while there's an important aspect of wellness and focus on it, I think people assume that you can get residencies on a credit card. This is something that you have to pay cash in. You actually you need to put the effort now, and it's a hard effort that you need to put for these 80-plus hours at some weeks. And that's the only way for you to actually be ready in three years to assume the role of independent physician. In other countries, it's four or five years for you to be in the same boat. So that really has been something that I've been noticing where there's a shift of I need to focus on me. That's very important, but you need to understand that at first you've assumed a huge role in other people's life and you have to live up to that role first. And then our awareness, unfortunately, has to come second. That's our duty to our patients, to our society. And there's enough now regulations that really helps us give enough off time and supervision and stuff. It is a hard thing to be a resident, and I can't imagine myself going back there. And I salute them for the great work they are. They're very essential. So I hope if you have a PGY, uh, a coming PGY1 who's an LMS4, hearing this, understand that you are becoming very important the day after your graduation just because now you are going to be the physician taken care of. And going with that mentality instead of saying, oh, I'm just the intern who's going to hide in the corner, makes all the difference between you really growing to the full potential or just staying the back end and just trying to, to pass by. This is not something you want to just pass by. This is something you want to really go through directly. I like it. Be present. Don't expect that. Well, it's not my responsibility. I'll let the physician take care. I'm just the intern. Bad mentality to go into. Very good advice. Is there any way that the audience could reach out to you for more questions? Absolutely. I'm happy to answer any queries through my LinkedIn and my email is my first name underscore last name at brown.edu. They can always reach me at that. It's A-B-D-U-L-L-H underscore C-H-A-H-I-N at brown.edu. And I will add those into the show notes in case the audience wasn't able to catch it all. All right. Well, Dr. Shaheen, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thank you for having me. Have a good evening. The Rounds to Residency podcast is powered by MedSchool Coach. To access MedSchool Coach services, like USMLE tutoring or residency admissions advising, visit our website at medschoolcoach.com. Good luck as you prepare for your board exams, and we hope you tune in again next time.